We bought this property for 1.5 million in August of last year from a mom and pop seller. He had owned the property for 18 years, never exceeded $200,000 in gross revenue. We're going to push 700,000 this year. So wow. we essentially three and a half X the revenue in just a matter of a year. Bought it for 1.5. It just appraised for 4.5. I've got a guy who has an amazing podcast, getting some great guests. He is also doing boutique hotels, trying to attack a niche in real estate that not many know about. I never want to own a boutique hotel in Scottsdale because there's 6,000 and short-term rentals in Scottsdale alone. But if you go into an area like San Diego, they have very strict short-term rental regulations. And so we can go in with the boutique hotel. We know that we don't have the risk of being oversaturated with Airbnb competition. What's the hard part about finding boutique hotels? It's a lot easier than multifamily right now. But the biggest challenge is... What's going on, Wealth Builders? Today, I've got a guy who has an amazing podcast, getting some great guests. He is also doing boutique hotels and just out in San Diego, crushing it, trying to just attack a niche in real estate that not many know about. And I actually want to learn about it because I might you know, start a boutique hotel one of these days. I got Rich Somers. What's up, man? Ryan, appreciate you having me on the show, man. It's a, uh, a pleasure to be here. I'm loving the the set and the uh, the whole vibe you got going on here. Yeah. I got to ask, dude, are you Filipino? My mom is uh, Taiwanese. She grew up in Taipei and then my dad grew up in Holland. Okay. Yeah. And where? Holland? Holland yeah. Oh, okay. Got Just it. outside of Rotterdam. Yeah. You look, you, do people ask you if you're Filipino? You look like you could be like, Pacific Islander. I get that all the time. People are like, hey, I know you got a little Asian in you. What, yeah. what are you? I'm like, hey, my mom is, you know, Taiwanese. Ah. Yeah. I, I think a lot of people could also think you're black. Mm. Do people think that? Uh, no, but sometimes like girls that go on dates with me, they're like, oh, like I've dated black guys in the past. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's funny. Yeah. So yeah, I was always wondering because I've seen like now you're doing super good on your podcast. And I was like, first thing I ask him is what's his ethnicity? Because like I'm confused. And a lot of people always ask me because they think I'm Latin. And I'm like, nope, just Filipino and white. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about what you got going on, man. Yeah. So um, right now, man, we're cranking. We're uh, we're going all in on the boutique hotel space. Yeah. Um, I see it as an opportunity. It's almost like blue ocean. Yep. Um, when I got into real estate, I was doing a lot of multifamily stuff. I was doing a lot of short-term rentals. I still own a lot of that stuff, but you know, with the interest rate environment that we're in, we're seeing cap rates uh, lower than interest rates right now in the multifamily asset class. A lot of deals aren't getting done. And so I thought, you know what, what if we take our short-term rental experience and our management, you know, arm and go attack a boutique hotel. So did that. It went really well. And What's a boutique hotel for those wondering? So boutique hotel by definition is any hotel that's 100 units or less that's independent, non-franchise, meaning it's not a Ramada Inn, it's not a Marriott, it's not a Hilton, but it's independent. And that's the definition. But for us, a boutique hotel is really 50 units and under something that we can self-manage. A hundred unit property, you're probably going to want on-site staff. You're going to want yeah. uh, all sorts of other layers in order to operate the property. But our competitive advantage is our management company, our management arm, which allows us to be fully integrated and uh, have full control. Right. So are you saying that there's like no cleaners on staff like at it it's just you're treating it like an airbnb we'll have housekeepers on payroll um but we won't have an innkeeper um so we'll do like a self-check-in self-checkout model with the guests yeah similar as what you would see with an airbnb um and then we'll market on airbnb verbo price labs booking.com hotels.com and we'll just drive a lot of revenue but the cool thing about this model is 
a lot of these boutique hotels that we're buying have an innkeeper suite. And traditionally, the innkeeper will live on the property and it would be the nicest suite on the entire property. Typically, they're large with kitchens, living rooms, sometimes two bedrooms. And so because we're operating remotely, we can renovate that innkeeper suite and bring it in online for additional revenue. And then the 50K, 60K that the seller was paying the innkeeper for payroll, it just drops to the bottom line now. Oh, got it. That makes sense. On September 25th to the 27th, I'm holding my biggest virtual event ever called the Profit Partner Challenge, and it's going to be epic. I'm going to be going over the number one way to get started in real estate, and I'll tell you, it's not wholesaling, it's not flipping, it's not buy and hold, it's not Airbnb, it's not multifamily, it's something completely different. And the great thing about getting started this way in real estate is you can do it from your house with just a computer and Wi-Fi. And you might be wondering, what exactly am I talking about? Well, what if I told you that you could use my team to close all of your deals? We negotiate with the seller, we figure out what we're going to do with it, and then we make a profit together. Well, I've built out the team to do exactly that. I just need your help with identifying these sellers all across the country that we could be doing deals with. And so if that sounds like something you wanna be a part of with partnering with my team and learning how you can get into the real estate business in the safest and easiest way possible, then you'll wanna make sure you attend this free three-day challenge. So if you're interested in joining, go to wealthyworkshop.com. You can sign up today, it's completely free. And I'll see you there. So once again, go to wealthyworkshop.com or click the link below. So no one's on like, like you're just going to go walk in like an Airbnb. Nobody's checking you in like a normal hotel. Um, And I'm sure you're creating its own website. So you don't have to just only be reliant on Airbnb. Yeah, we'll create its own website, its own social media. We'll have all its own branding. Uh, and then it will all be managed by our hospitality brand, which is Excelsior Stays. But the best part about that is it gives us multiple exit strategies. So as we scale the portfolio, we can either exit to a big operator and sell the whole portfolio, or we can exit one property at a time. Yeah. So are they um, like, is your goal to just rent them on Airbnb or is it to eventually like get everyone to just go to this self-booking website and run ads to that and all that? The goal is to to grow our uh, direct booking platform. So yeah. we have our own hospitality brands. So we manage uh, short-term rentals and boutique hotels, our own stuff, plus yep. for third-party owners in 10 markets right now around the country. Okay, so this website will have everything you own. It is. And so what we do is we have a Wi-Fi system called StayFi in all of our Airbnbs around the country, all of our boutique hotels. So if you're a guest, let's say you check into one of our Airbnbs, you and your family, you and all your kids, in order to get in the Wi-Fi, you have to put in your email address, contact information. And so we populate all of our guests' contact information. We put them onto a drip campaign, and then we send them weekly mailers, getting them to come back and direct book at another one of our properties. What that does is it gets the guests off of the platform, so it makes us more independent, but it also saves the guests on OTA fees, and it saves us on OTA fees because you never want to be controlled by Airbnb because the second they change their rules, you're going to be affected as a host. Yeah, well, and just it's going to cost you more. Like yes. they're going to they're take their, what do they take now these days? Uh, most of them take about 15%. So currently Airbnb uh, charges the host 3%. The guest pays 12. Verbo, the host pays the entire 15. Right. And so if I'm a betting man, that 15 is probably going to go up over time. Yeah, that makes sense. And I guess the way I would think about it, if I had like an actual hotel, I'd be thinking, well, okay, I'm going to pay 15% to Airbnb. Why not just run PPC ads? And like, what would the difference end up becoming as time went on? Right. That's a really good way to look at it. Because you're, you're you're paying Airbnb anyway for traffic. Mm-hmm. You're just buying their traffic. Why can't you buy it 
you know, it's like, hey, San Diego luxury hotel. Right. I think the main problem with that model would be there's a there's not a there's not much of a, a trust that is established. So there'd be a little trust factor with the guests. But with this model, we're still yeah, we're paying the OTA fee initially. We're still getting that guest information. And now there's the trust factor because they already stayed at one of their properties and they know what to expect in terms of like a level of service. Yeah. Have you thought about this? So I just stayed at this place called Sensei. It's in Palm Springs. So it used to be Larry Ellison's private golf course. So this dude bought a golf course 10 years ago just for himself. And there was one house on it. Mm. And so he ended up building like five guest house that, and by the way, his guest house is like 5,000 square feet. And so like he had four guest house, his main house is like 50,000 square feet. And for 10 years straight, it was just him. And I was talking to the staff cause they were, they had seen my stuff and they were like, yeah, we've been here. And, um, you know, he'd come like once a, a year or something. And, you know, we just maintained the whole golf course. I was like, what the heck? This is crazy. But what he ended up doing was putting it up public so anyone could use it now. And he turned it into like this wellness boutique hotel type vibe. So like, I think the maximum amount of guests that can stay on there is like 30 Mm. or 40. And now they got like massage and all these like things going on. And it's cool. I mean, they have golf, obviously, but, you know, take away the golf. Have you ever thought about like creating an experience like that? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, it's something that we think about all the time with the boutique hotel space is like, okay, as we grow, as we evolve, you know, um, I had a guy on my podcast um, a little while back, but uh, he studies demographics and he wrote a book called Big Shifts Ahead. Okay. And so he labeled all the different demographics based on the decade you were born. And so he said those that were born in the 80s, or early 90s, the millennials, he calls them the share, uh, the sharers because they want to go have these experiences and they want to share it with all their friends on social media. Oh, and so sure. I thought they wanted to go have it with their friends, but you're saying they just want to make content. They want to, they want to make content, but they want to share these cool experiences with their friends, Yeah, whether it's a local restaurant or whether it's a, a place to stay. Yeah. And so it makes sense because if you look at the restaurant industry or any hospitality uh, space, uh, things are evolving right now. So, you yeah. know, the Applebee's, the Chili's, all those chain restaurants that our parents loved that were super popular back 30, 40 years ago are all phasing out. So, <laughs> Applebee's and chilies. Yeah. Like, <laughs> what about Sizzler? I know. Sizzler's <laughs> another one. Um, but, you know, if you look at a lot of these, like, you know, metro areas, like I live in downtown San Diego, all the restaurants in my neighborhood, and these are like the best restaurants in all of San Diego. Yeah. Um, none of them are chain. No, and, they're all like, you know, gastropub type stuff. Yeah. And even if one of the restaurants does very well and the ownership group is like, hey, let's do another one, they'll open another restaurant down the street, but it will not have any of the same branding. It won't have the same menu. It'll be completely different because of this. I got a funny story with that. So back to Applebee's when I was playing minor league baseball, Mm -hmm. like Applebee's is great because they had a happy hour after the game and it was like, you could get $4 wings and tacos and all this crap. And my wife, when she'd, she'd be like, I do not want to go to Applebee's. And I'm like, well, it's the only thing open and it's cheap and whatever. And her, the, her name for it was Crapplebees. So, <laughs> you know, that, that's one thing. Second thing with that chain, well, with the successful, you know, I don't know what you'd call it, but like here in Vegas, there's this chain of Korean barbecues and like, you know, they start one super successful, then like, you know, a couple blocks away, like you said, there's mm-hmm. another, but it's a different one. And then one day I realized, I was like, wait a minute. The same guy owns all these, you know, like he just has 10 different brands, but they're all Korean barbecue, 
with a little bit different stuff. Yeah. I got a buddy that he's part of a restaurant group. They own like eight restaurants all in San Diego. And you would never know as a guest that any of them are like part of the same group at all. They're all completely different vibe, different menu, different names, everything. But people love them. Yeah. That's hard to do, man, to like really come up with a new concept over and over again. Yeah. I don't want to be in the restaurant industry. Like good, successful restaurants, like 8% margins. I'm not interested in that. (laughs) We see a lot of hotels that like have like food and beverage. I'm like, that's fine. We'll pick it up, but we're going to like lease that out to a third party operator. Yeah. I'm not trying to get in the restaurant business at all. Speaking of that. So the place I stayed at Sensei, they have one restaurant, you know, on, on the the place it's Nobu. Mm. It has its own private Nobu. Love Nobu. You can't, you can't eat it unless you're staying there. I love Nobu. What (laughs) What do you like to eat in terms of sushi? I'll eat anything. I mean, I love Toro. I love... I love it all, dude. Yeah. yeah. I'm a big nigiri sashimi guy, but yeah, the Turo, all that stuff is so good. Yeah. I go like three times a week. To Nobu? No, not Nobu. Oh, just sushi. There's a sushi. spot down in uh, in San Diego, uh, kind of right next to our office where like a lot of private equity guys go, but super good. And uh, man, I'm addicted. <laughs> yeah. No, sushi's great. Entrepreneurs, if you want to grow your business, there is no better investment than your own personal brand. The smartest thing I ever did was start creating content and investing into my brand. Ever since then, we've been able to triple our business. I've been able to raise more money than ever to continue buying more real estate. And it's all because I create content just like this. Now, a lot of people have asked me, Ryan, how am I supposed to do it? I don't know where to start. I don't know who's gonna edit it. I don't know even what kind of setup or camera or anything to do. Well, here's the thing. We can help you with all of that at Pineda Media. We have a podcast checklist that you can actually get for free at PinedaMedia.com that's going to go over everything you need on starting a podcast. But to make matters even better, we'll actually edit your podcast for you. We'll repurpose it into short form clips like you see on my Instagram and my TikTok so that people will start seeing those clips and watching your podcast and in turn being customers or investors in your business. So if you want the one-stop solution where you can get everything done for you, plus get the education you need to grow your personal brand, then you need to go to PinedaMedia.com and book a free call with our team. You can also go get that free podcast checklist and that training program absolutely free by just going there. So go check it out. Basically, with your boutique hotels right now, they're more similar to just like an Airbnb. It's like, hey, everybody's got their unique rooms and, you know, um, are they studios for the most part? Yeah, we actually t- like to target the properties that have the larger uh, rooms if if we can. So uh, the first one we bought was 10 unit beachfront up in Northern California. Oh, and cool. literally every single room has living room, a kitchen, fireplace yeah. and an ocean view. And obviously not every property is going to have that. But if we can find those properties, we like them because we know we can charge a little bit more. Yeah. What, like what does that one rent for? Yeah. So that one depends on season. So slow season, we rent that for as low as 85 bucks a night. Busy season, we're renting it for as high as 500 bucks a night. So it really depends. But to give your audience an example of like the lever that you can push with these boutique hotels is we bought this property for 1.5 million uh, in August of last year from a mom and pop seller. He had owned the property for 18 years. It's 10 unit? 10 unit beachfront 150 K at door. How's that possible? Yeah. He, uh, he's, <laughs> he, he's, he sold it for less than what he bought it for 18 years ago. Right. And, uh, he owned it for 18 years. Mom and pop seller never, never exceeded $200,000 in gross revenue. We're going to push 700,000 this year. So wow. we essentially three and a half X the revenue in just a matter of a year, bought it for 1.5. It just appraised for 4.5 in, in a, in an interest rate of cl- uh, climate that we're in. Yeah. Why was he not able to do it? 
He just doesn't understand operations, doesn't understand how to market. He was just relying on a direct booking website, but wasn't marketing on any of the platforms. I'm like, dude, <laughs> such a huge opportunity. He's like, yeah, no, what's Airbnb? <laughs> yeah, I know. No, exactly. Yeah. So, but he seller financed it. Very nice guy. Um, and that's the other thing is we can seller finance these properties. So in an environment to where, you know, interest rates are seven, 8%, uh, we can negotiate our own seller financing, our own terms, our own pricing. Yeah. No, I love that. So I, uh, I stayed at one of those in Malibu, um, actually right next to the Nobu in Malibu. And it was a really cool spot. I would say it probably had 10 to 15 like rooms, um, bigger, you know, they were like uh, living room, bedroom and all that. But man, I mean, Malibu is obviously super expensive. It was like 1500 a night or so. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's expensive. This is more of a rural area up in Northern California, uh, Humboldt County. Oh, um, I thought you said it was in San Diego. That's why I was confused. Yeah. Okay, we, so we Humboldt. Just bought, I know just, where Humboldt is. Yeah, we just bought one down in San Diego a couple months ago. And that one's, you know, in downtown. And that one's obviously going to be a little bit more expensive in terms of a nightly rate. But this one's up in Humboldt County, Black Sand Beaches. A lot of hiking trails, but it's a little more rural. Got it. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. So what about, uh, what are some of the other ones you've bought? So those are the only two that we bought thus far. We just pivoted over to this model. Okay. Um, and we're looking to buy one more good one to add it to our boutique hotel fund between now and the end of the year. Okay. Where are you looking? Just Cali? We're looking at coastal markets. Um, you know, when I first got into real estate investing, I was, you know, looking for cash flow and I was investing in other parts of the country. And I still own in other parts of the country. But since then, I think my perspective has changed. And the reason I say that is because the time effort it takes to buy a deal, source the deal, manage contractors, renovate it is generally speaking going to be the same in the area like Oklahoma versus an area like Santa Barbara, California. However, I know I'm going to create a lot more equity growth in an area like Santa Barbara than I am in Oklahoma. And so now I'm targeting, you know, higher growth markets, sexier markets. And so we're really looking at those kind of places. And also, I think from the hotel perspective, if you go into blue states, um, it's actually more beneficial than going into red states because there's just a lot more bureaucracy. And those areas tend to have stricter Airbnb regulations. Uh, if you go you in, like it. <laughs> yeah. So like if you go into an area like I, I own uh, a really nice like luxury Airbnb in Scottsdale. I never want to own a boutique hotel in Scottsdale because there's 6,000 short-term rentals in Scottsdale alone, right? Right. But if you go into an area like San Diego, they have very strict short-term rental regulations. And so we can go in with a boutique hotel. We know that we don't have the risk of being oversaturated with Airbnb competition. What's That's super smart. What's like the rules with boutique hotel in San Diego versus like they don't count it as a short-term rental? Like you got to have a certain amount of units. How's that work? Yeah. So as long as you buy a property that is zoned commercial and has the hotel designator, um, those ordinances in a lot of these markets only pertain to residentially zoned properties. Got it. So you're already a hotel, you're commercial, you can do whatever you want to fill it. Yes. Got it. No, that's cool. And I've noticed that too on Airbnb when I go to book, I'm like, man, is this like a, just a somebody's hotel? Why is this on Airbnb? I'm looking for a house. So that makes sense. Um, where? So you started out in Oklahoma? Like, how did you start your career? Yeah. So first uh, property I bought was 11 units in Cincinnati. I, how long ago was this? This is uh, back in early 2019. Okay. I was, uh, before this, I was, you know, I was always taught from a young age to go to school, get good grades, go to college and get a job. And for the most part, that's what I did. Um, have a sales background. I sold cell phones while I was going to college. And then I got into car sales. I got out in 2008. I wanted to sell commercial real estate. 
So you and got out of college in 08? 08, yeah. Okay. okay. Wanted to sell commercial real estate because I was doing really well at sales. And I just knew, okay, you go sell commercial real estate, you can make some big commissions. So I interviewed with CB Rich Ellis, Grubb and Ellis. And they were like, dude, we love your hustle, but th this is not the right time to get into the industry. Uh -huh. So I found myself on a car lot uh, selling Nissans in San Diego. Where <laughs> I'm like, what the hell am I going to do with my life? And I stumbled across a job as an air traffic controller. Hold on. How, how did you do as a car sales guy? Like, how good were you? Pretty good, man. So what were I, you making? Um, car, car sales, I was doing anywhere from $100,000 to $200,000 a year. Okay, so you were good. And this is while going to college full time. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So it's fine. I mean, I was happy doing that. But, you know, you're working a lot of hours. You're, you're working 60 hours a week. You have one day off. What was the best selling car? Um, the, Probably the Altima. Yeah. Yeah. What, what was your margin as a sales guy in a car? What'd you make? Yeah. So new cars, we would only make about $100 a hundred dollars a car. No way. Yeah. Whether it's a lease or selling a new car, we make a hundred to 150 bucks. Why even go through the work? I know. That's what I said. <laughs> if I was the business owner, I'd be like, dude, these guys aren't going to sell these new cars. Like, yeah. What's the point? But used car was where it was at. So yeah. the used car, the dealership would have a profit margin of anywhere from 2000 to sometimes $6,000 per car. Yeah. And as a sales rep, you would get about 25% of that. What would happen if you get a trade-in? Do you get any value for getting a trade-in as the sales guy? Uh, yes. Yes, you do get a value as a trade-in. So let's say that uh, you take a trade-in and they're like, hey, we'll take this for 8,000. But then you go to the client and say, hey, uh, we're going to give you 6,000. You get 25% of that two grand that you, you basically downsized it. Got it. Yeah. So whatever you can negotiate to get a better deal. Yes. So oh, if you're okay. making the dealership money, they'll, they'll give you a cut. Um, so the new cars, we wouldn't make much, but the incentive was they would always have these bonuses every month. And I remember they would say, okay, cause everyone would come in for a new car and we would just flip them over to use, right? We had no incentive <laughs> to sell them a new, No, that's but what they would say, Hey, if you guys, you know, sell 20 cars this month and you sell three of them brand new, um, we'll give you a bonus kicker. And so sometimes we would be like end of the month, like, okay, if I just get two new cars out between now and the end of the month, I can get this bonus. And so that's why people would do it. Got it. Yeah. Nissan's wondering, they're like, why can't we sell our new car? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so uh, I'm doing that and I'm like wondering like, what the hell am I going to do? I'm working on a car lot. 2008, the job economy is like crashing. The real estate market's crashing. But you were balling in 2008 making that. Yeah. But I was working my ass off, man. Yeah. I was like, I knew yeah. this wasn't the end game. Yeah. And so I stumbled across a job as an air traffic controller with the FAA and um, they called me. I remember I was in the car lot. They called me and they said, hey, if you can pass a drug test uh, and get out to Oklahoma City, <laughs> we can start you in two weeks. And so I literally packed up like a suitcase, threw it in my car, drove across uh, the country and started 11 year career as an air traffic controller, man. Dang. Yeah. That's a long time. Yeah, it is a long time. Dude, you know what's funny? So I just had this guy, Keaton the Muscle on, and okay. uh, he's speaking at uh, the next WealthCon. And he was telling me about how he built a helipad on his house. So he has a house that's like on top of a mountain. And he's like, dude, I just built the helipad. I didn't talk to the FAA. I didn't do anything. And so he has a helicopter and he helicoptered here from Salt Lake Whoa. to the podcast. And I was like, so what's the rules with that? Do you got to like book something with the FAA to do that? He's like, nah, we just go. And I was like, really? You could just fly planes and helicopters and stuff without getting any, like, what if you getting somebody's line or something like how does that work yeah so you have two ways to fly it's like vfr which is like visual flight rules and that is like basically just like you're just keeping separated visually you don't have to talk to any air traffic control uh you don't have to do anything really in particular as long as you stay out of the clouds and you can see the other aircraft 
what commercial planes fly is IFR. So they're going through the clouds, but that's called instrument, basically flight rules. And so it's a whole different other okay. gang of rules. They're talking to ATC. It's more legit. They're being separated. VFR with with what that dude did. Um, it's just kind of like, you know, the Wild West. You're just kind of on your own. <laughs> so he, he's just doing it. Yeah. And he, okay. Because I wasn't sure. I was like, I don't know if you want to say that live, if that you're supposed to be doing that or not. <laughs> yeah. Dude. Yeah. He's not breaking any rules. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah, it is kind of crazy. Now, when you come into land, let's say like Vegas airport, when you come into land, you get like five miles out of the airport and you got to stop be talking to air traffic control. Right. Because yeah. you can't like just fly over them. Yeah. What uh, did they say anything about flying cars, like rules and stuff? Like, do, do no. they talk about it at all? Did not, man. It wasn't it wasn't really a hot topic. Like when you work for the government, everything happens really slow. So they're not even talking. They're not talking about the future. Yeah. They're yeah. like this flying car thing's never going to happen. Yeah. What's the latest with that? I don't know. I've seen people like create them. I don't know if they're legit or not. I'm surprised Elon Musk doesn't have something in the works. I'm sure he does. I'm sure we just, there's a Tesla that flies. I'm certain of mm. it. Um, it. It's Tesla mixed with SpaceX and they're just creating a rocket car. I can see that. Yeah. So you, you do the FAA for 11 years. I mean, what were you making doing that? It had to have been less than being a car sales guy. Yeah, so it's about 160 um, oh, okay. plus benefits. And yeah. then so with overtime you're doing, you could do 200 to 220. Okay. It's great. And I was putting away money, my 401k and all that, but I got bored, man. I was like, uh, about eight years into it, I was like, I was ready for the next thing. And I love the job, worked with so many great people. A lot of those folks invest in my real estate deals now. But um, I was in the break room and one of my coworkers, he was talking about just closing on a fourplex in Cleveland. And I thought it was the coolest thing ever. And I was like, dude, I was like, how did you do that? I was like, tell me how you bought that fourplex. And he was like, hey, go read this book. And it was the blue book from uh, Brandon Turner on real estate investing. Uh-huh. So I read the book and uh, came back. He's like, go read this book now. And so we just started, I started reading books, podcasts. I became obsessed. I literally didn't do anything for nine months. I didn't go out. I just worked. And outside of work, I was like literally just studying. I was going to networking events before I even owned any real estate. And nine months in, I was like, okay, I got to take some action. So I cashed out my 401k and that was my seed money to do my very first deal. Hmm. So you cashed it out, took a penalty, took a penalty. I paid the penalties, uh, the taxes. However, depending on where you cash out your 401k in the year, the calendar year, you might not have to pay those income taxes for like 18 months. So let's say right now we're in August. Let's just say, let's say January of 23, you cash out your 401k. Well, the taxes aren't going to be due till April of 24. And if right. you get a six month extension, you're really not going to have your taxes due for like 21 months. Right. Got it. So I leveraged that tax money, rolled that into uh, the real estate stuff, increased the value, burned the money out. And then I used that to pay back the taxes. Mm. And so what was that first? That was the Oklahoma deal? It was uh, 11 units in Cincinnati. Oh, Cincinnati. Yeah. That's right. Yep. And then shortly after that, I partnered with a couple partners that I had for quite some time. And uh, we bought a 32 unit building in Indianapolis, bought that for 1.1. And a couple years later, we exited at about 3.1. Oh, there we go. Yeah. So that was my first couple of deals and then started a real estate uh, apartment investing podcast and met these guys on our podcast. It was a virtual one. I don't have it anymore, but um, convinced one of these guys to uh, basically like mentor us. And so yeah. we did like a mentorship and uh, basically helped us like how to like, you know, underwrite deals, start taking bigger deals down, raise private capital. And that was kind of my jump start into the syndication space. Mm. And what happened from there? Um, from there, we took down a couple deals with them, a couple larger deals. We bought a 150 unit townhome style community in Greensboro, North Carolina. 
We also took down a 145-unit um, apartment complex also in Greensboro, North Carolina. And then from there, started scaling a little bit. That's when multifamily started to get a little overheated, um, started doing the short-term rental stuff. And um, last year in October, I decided, and it was a tough decision, I decided under my current partnership um, that I was never going to reach my my full potential. And so it was a tough decision. I uh, love my partners. They're great dudes. We're, we're still, we still own real estate together today. I still love them. And we, we talk every week. However, I, I decided to go off on my own. And um, October went off on my own and you know got my own podcast studio and um, got our own office and started kind of scaling the team. And uh, now we're rocking and rolling. We got our own boutique hotel fund and uh, we're having fun with it, man. Wealth Builders, if you are trying to grow your real estate investing business, then you need to join us at Wealthy Investor. If you have no idea what Wealthy Investor is, it is our coaching program and community. We have helped thousands of students worldwide grow their business. Now, it doesn't matter if you're just getting started and you're trying to get that first deal. We can help you do that. If you're trying to scale your business and go from a few deals a year to a few deals a month or even seven figures a year, we can help you do that too. In fact, last year alone, we had over 30 students do over a million dollars in revenue. And I'd love for you to be the next one. So it's pretty simple. If you're trying to grow your business and wholesale more homes or flip more homes or buy more rental properties, then you need to go to wealthyinvestor.com and book a free call with our team. It's super simple. We'll go on a strategy call with you and figure out how we can help you grow according to your needs. So all you got to do is go to wealthyinvestor.com, book the free call with the team, and we'll see you there. So right now you guys have acquired the, you got the the one in San Diego, or no, no the one in um, Humboldt, mm-hmm. right? And then you got, what was the second one on the boutique? Um, down here in San Diego, 24-unit yep. boutique hotel in San Diego. And you're looking now again, just on the coast, just trying to find more deals. We are, yeah. What's the, I guess, the hard part about finding boutique hotels? Yeah. Um, it's, I would say it's a lot easier than multifamily right now. Okay. Um, but the biggest challenge is the financing. Oh. So with the hotel space right now, the financing is going to be your biggest challenge. And the reason I say that is because from a lender perspective, you know, lenders love to lend on multifamily because from a risk adjusted return uh, profile, multifamily is very safe. Hotel has a little bit added risk. And so going into a recession right now with a lot of volatility in the marketplace, a lot of lenders are pulling back on the boutique hotel stuff. So the biggest challenge is finding deals that have seller financing opportunities. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Seller finance, uh, it's interesting, right? Because it's always been around. And now that rates are high, people are trying to do it more and more, right? When there was cheap money, it's like, yeah, we don't need seller finance. Let's let's get that cheap money. Um but yeah, even for me, I'm looking at doing some developments and I'm like, man, I, let me go get some seller financing on some of this land and figure it out. Yeah. Lending's definitely dried up. I mean, I, I noticed it from a year and a half ago to today, um, especially the creative stuff, you know, the second mortgages, higher leverage stuff was a lot easier to find a year and a half ago. But now it's it's definitely a lot more challenging. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Tell me about the podcast, dude. Yeah, man. So uh, when I stood up with the partners, uh, we had that apartment investing podcast for three years. And so I took everything I liked and didn't like about that podcast and then kind of made my own. One thing I didn't love about it was, one, it was virtual. I wanted to be in person. But two, it was all apartment investing. So after 100 episodes, I was like, dude, I'm bored talking apartments. Like, I want to talk about something else. You got units and then you leased it and then you had tenants. Yeah. 
Then you sold it. Nice. Yeah. And you talk about capital raising. I know. Yeah. Raising rents. And it's like, dude, you know, it's cool. But if I'm getting bored, then, you know, the listeners are getting bored. Right. Yeah. And so um, when I split up with my partners in October, I said, hey, um, you guys keep the podcast. I'm going to take the meetup. And I'm going to start my own podcast. And so um, I basically niche down with this podcast. You know, we talk real estate, business, wealth, but I bring on, you know, athletes. I bring on anyone that has a good story, someone that's inspiring. And now we get to hit a bunch of different talking points. And dude, I don't get bored. So it's great. But yeah. we still have the the emphasis on real estate investing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I've just seen it. You know, um, I've seen you just really grow the last like eight, eight months or so. And because we were talking offhand, uh, off camera about, um, you know, wealthy creator and stuff. And I know when you came on, you're like, what should I do? And I was like, dude, start a mastermind, just do it. And then like to see, you know, you got a successful mastermind and you know, the podcast is booming. I just love seeing it, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I think when we first connected, that was kind of when I was branching off on my own Yeah, and it's starting to get some momentum and, um, shout out to, to you and, and your team with uh, wealthy creators, man. It's been, uh, it's been fun being a part of that group, but just inspiring to be around other folks that are, are, are really going after it. You know, how would you say content has changed your career? Dude, <laughs> it's, it's crazy to think about. Um, I didn't start posting content till just over a year ago, maybe like, yeah. maybe like 15 months ago. Up until that point, I was, you know, doing the real estate investing stuff and, you know, I was doing a lot of cool stuff. Um, but dude, it's changed my, my life in so many ways, not just, you know, from a, from a sales and marketing perspective of like, you know, bringing able, being able to raise more money or anything like that. Um, it has so many more added benefits, dude. Like, you know, I'm able to attract better team members. Yeah. Um, I'm better. I'm able to network with people that are above me yep. to where they would have never talked to me before. But now all of a sudden, because I have an audience, because I have a platform, because I have a podcast, people like Grant Cardone or Pace Morby, Tarko Musa are down to come and collab. Whereas before I would have never had a shot to do those kind of things. And so, um, dude, the content, man, it changes your life in so many freaking ways that people don't even think about. Yep. No, I tell people that all the time. I'm like, look, you know, if you're an entrepreneur, you've got to create content if you want to get to the next level. Like if you're unknown, it's going to be very difficult to do anything, right? And to your point, you know, the the main thing at which you generate revenue from, in your case as a syndicator, it's like, all right, we need money and deals, right? Mm -hmm. And the podcast will get you that. But also to your point, being able to interview these amazing guests allows you to build relationships, learn, you know, uh, build off of their brand as well, Um you know, you also get to get a player employees, like you said. And even for me, the the thing I have learned from this podcast is two other benefits. One is it's actually very easy to do. You know, you just talk, you, you get good people and talk. Like you don't have to like do the reels and like mm-hmm. script and everything. Yeah. Cause I've done scripts many, many times. Like I don't have a script. We're just You're talking. Right. Um, two, you get all the clips from podcast. It's super efficient. You get your short form content all that stuff. And then three, you know, the algorithms like podcasts now, you know, YouTube and all these, uh, well, YouTube specifically, they want longer content. And so like longer videos are doing better. And so like all signs point to doing a podcast. Yeah. I think it's the cheat code. Yeah. Um, you know, if you look at any of the big real estate entrepreneurs out there, um, that are making big waves in the space. All of them have a podcast. Yeah. And like you alluded to, man, it's like you do the long form and it's like, well, you don't have to do the short form as much. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but I don't love doing the short form stuff. No. You know? And so you get to just have a conversation and I always just tell my guests, I'm like, look, 
you know, I just jump in there. We have a free flowing conversation. I always try to make the guests look as good as possible. Yeah. Um, and if they have any points they want to, you know, hone in on, I'll do that. But um, like you, man, I don't like to be scripted. And I'm like, let's just have a nice free flowing conversation. But yeah. dude, it's, it's, it's crazy. Like I've walked into like just the podcast and social media has got me like, you know, I go into nice restaurants and people recognize and like, oh, like, you know, they give us like, you know, priority seating. Or um, I've even gotten like tables at like clubs, like free tables <laughs> because of the podcast. Be like, oh, I listen to your podcast or whatever. And like even find out today from San Diego, like someone on the plane, like woke me up. was like, hey, like I listen to your podcast. I just want to say thank you. So, like that's cool to like see that, you know, and I'm always like super grateful when people do that. I'm like, hey, like, thank you so much for listening. Like, if there's ever anything I do for you, like feel free to reach out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's awesome, dude. Yeah. It's awesome. Um, yeah, I'm a big believer in podcasts. That's why, you know, if you look at my YouTube channel, we don't do the 10 to 15 minute videos anymore. Like I'm just super heavy on, you know, doubling down here on the podcast and making it even better. Um, and you know, like even with Pineda media, you know, we made the shift and like, we're only doing podcast for our clients. And so like, we'll do podcast, we'll repurpose them. We'll create their covers, their brand, all the assets to do a podcast. So anybody can do that at panadamedia.com. But, um, I'm just such a believer in it. And I think that even in the next, uh, just say three years, mm -hmm. right? Like you keep doing what you're doing. I keep doing what I'm doing. Like what opportunities are going to come from that? Yeah. I mean, if you look at the extreme example, it's like, well, look at Joe Rogan. Yeah. Um, you know, he's been doing three episodes a week for like 11 or 12 years. Yeah. And he's able to get presidents, uh, UFC fighters like Elon Musk. He's able to get all these big names on his podcast because of the audience. And, um, you know, I just think it's, it's, it's still early in the podcast game. I think it's just getting started. Um, and I'm excited to, to kind of see where it goes, man. What would you, what would be your biggest piece of advice to anyone who's thinking about starting one? Um, I would say like, you just got to get started. It does not need to be perfect. You don't need to overthink it because in all reality, um, you know, your first 15, 20, 30, 40 episodes, you're not going to have a lot of listeners anyway. So I think yeah. the key is just get started and, um, and just start rocking and rolling because what you think you want is going to be different once you do 40 episodes. And so it's going to evolve and it's like business and real estate. Like those who pivot, those who evolve win. it's the same thing with podcasting. So I say, don't overthink it. Just get the equipment and just get started. Yeah. One thing I'll say is, and people need to really understand this is when you can create I'm trying to think the best way to say it. Like an audience is a good word, but like a platform that is valuable, people will come to you. And so like an example would be a podcast, right? So it's like people willingly come on the podcast, come to you in your studio because, you know, you have an audience and they know it's going to be good for them. You know, and I, I've had literally so many crazy people sit right where you're sitting and I'm just hanging out with them for like two, three hours. Just like, you know, these people are very hard to access. Like I was just at Ed Milet's house a couple of days ago, filming a podcast, just hanging out. And it's like, well, the only reason is, you know, I've spent years building this up. So it's like, it's worth his time to be on it because, you know, of, of the audience and the platform. And like the same thing for me anyways, is true of WealthCon. You know, we, we do this every quarter. We get over a thousand people. It's an epic event. And I literally every week I get texts from people like very high level people who are like, Hey, do you need another speaker at WealthCon? Like they're, they'll come, they'll pay their own dime. They're like, dude, just, just put me in the lineup and I'm there. And I'm like, I already have like 
so many, like it's just jam packed. I have to like make this running list of like, all right, so we're going to take this chunk of people this time. And then we're going to take this chunk for next quarter. And it, it's crazy that like, that's a thing. Yeah. I saw uh, Cody Sanchez posted like a Twitter post yesterday and I actually like reshared it. And it said, uh, most people, most advice will tell you to become a better networker. But she's like, no, create a place that's so cool, an environment that's so cool that people want to come network with you. Exactly. And it's so fucking true, man. Yeah. It's so true. Exactly. And that's how Cody and I met. She came on the podcast and we hit it off. And then, well, and also too, like the way she came on the podcast, I just DM'd her because this was like, you know, she was already growing, but not to the level she is today. But I was like, I love what you're doing. You're killing it. Like, if you're ever in Vegas, let's do stuff. And she's like, down. And then she was here. And then like, we hung out. It was great. And then I was like, hey, I got this event coming up in January. You want to speak? She's like, down. And then like, that's how it happens. But mm -hmm. it's only because you created something that makes people want to join it. Yeah. No, absolutely, man. Um, Like we had... Like Grant, Grant Cardone came out and I was like shocked on how easy it was to book him. Yeah. He was coming out to speak at a conference here in downtown San Diego a few months back. And so uh, one of our podcast guests did a warm intro to his assistant. Yeah. And we just said, hey, we saw Grant's going to be speaking on this date. We have a podcast studio a mile away from the venue. We'd uh, love yeah. to have him on the podcast. Here's, you know, Rich's Instagram. Here's a couple of our past guests. And she was like, book it. And we're like, holy cow. I didn't realize it was that easy. But only because we had the audience, because we had the podcast. Yeah, and you, you were also smart with knowing the opportunity, right? Because he's probably not going to come just for your podcast by itself. But you're like, look, we're an hour away or a, a block wow. away. Like, mm -hmm. just, you know, just 30 minutes. Just come 30 minutes earlier and like it, it's not going to cause you anything. It's like, all right, that's easy. Yeah. You know, so he flew all the way out here that day and i asked him i said hey how, how much did they pay you to speak at that event he's like they paid me 250 to come out and speak <laughs> so they paid him 250 to come speak for an hour he, he came on my podcast for free. for free yeah so it's like right place right time but that strategy does work and so now we're trying to kind of implement that strategy moving forward just to kind of be more strategic on how to land bigger name guests and so we're like you know we have a list we're like okay who are some of the big players that are going to be in town between now and the end of the year and let's reach out to them maybe three weeks prior and let's try to let's try to book them i'm gonna take that from you because i've been telling our team we need to like really make a list of people we want because <laughs> to be truthful this podcast has been very successful with way less thought put into it than you might imagine right um yeah and i'm ashamed to admit that because it's just like it's just people end up here. Like there's no like set thing mm -hmm. of like, okay, you know, let's be intentional and get this person, this person. Like, it's just something happens. Someone texts me, you know, it just, people just keep coming. And I'm like, we actually have too many guests. Um, and so I might have to start limiting it, but they're all people that I just want to talk to. I'm like, I want to like know what that person's doing and pick their brain. And that's literally the qualifier for me. Yeah. I'm like, if I want to learn and pick their brain and, have a conversation with them for an hour, then bring them in. Um, if they're boring and they haven't done anything, then why would I want to bring them in? Right? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think with a lot of the stuff we do, like it, it can feel like unorganized and chaotic from within, but like from the outside perspective, like people, they have no idea. I know. So I'm know? bringing it up and that's <laughs> why I'm bringing it up too. It's like, yeah, you know, if you start a podcast and you're like, Oh man, I gotta have the perfect, mm -hmm. uh, you know, schedule and all the stuff. I'm like, I don't like, and I also too a benefit for me and also for you is that San Diego and Vegas are big places that people come to. 
Vegas is like probably the biggest and there's events here freaking every week. And so that's why mine's very chaotic because, you know, I'll get a text or a DM. Hey, I'm going to this event, blah, blah, blah. Let's link up. And so that's kind of how it happens is I don't, even, I don't have to do anything. They're already here. Yeah. How did you land liver King? <laughs> <laughs> liver King, dude, he's my guy. Um, how did I land the liver King? Uh, I'm trying to remember every person has a unique story. You know what? I just DM the liver King. I was mm. like, bro, I love what you're doing, man. I freaking, I, I just started, I actually started doing what he was doing. I ate raw liver for like a week straight. And I was like, bro, I'm, dude i'm down with the cause bro and i ate it and he's like yeah brother like i love that blah 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 and then um i just hit him up i was like let's film a podcast and he's like all right and then all of his drama went down last year with the steroids and stuff and you know that canceled it because there was just like all this that delayed it we were supposed to talk before that and then um you know a few weeks later we ended up doing one after the fact and I went out to LA to go film with him and it was good. Cause like I'll go film at other places too. I don't care. It doesn't have to be in the studio. Yeah. Yeah. What's, what's he like in person? I actually really like liver King, man. Um, he's, he's very like, here's the thing. Okay. And you would probably know this now that you've interviewed grant, like behind the scenes, these people, you know, put on these personas online and I don't, I don't want to say that they're like, different they're just kind of like more amplified mm -hmm. it's like when you come on camera you have to be somewhat of an actor to like really I, just just like make it more exciting because if we were just to talk in, in normal setting it i wouldn't talk as loud i wouldn't be as animated we'd just be chilling and talking so you have to do turn it up a notch um absolutely and liver king and grant are both like that you know you you talk to them off camera just normal, chill, like authentic dudes. And I'll tell you, they both do believe what they say. You know, like Liver King truly believes like he, like you need to just eat liver and not do any of this other stuff. And like, it is his 1000% mission that people know that. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like, basically it's, what I'm saying is it's not like a facade of, is he really like eating, like doing that? I'm like, yes, he really believes that. Yeah. The steroid thing's interesting. So I, you know, you played baseball. Yep. Um, I, I work out at a couple of different gyms in, in San Diego and a lot of these guys are just jacked, but I'm like, what percentage do you think of people like our age and older that are like really in shape or are on gear? Everyone. Everyone. Yeah. Okay. Um, so long story short, right? Like I played pro sports, so I was always against all that stuff. And, you know, around last year, I got a blood test for the first time. I never had a blood test like to check testosterone and all that stuff because all my friends were taking TRT and I'm like, guys, y'all are just fat and you don't work out. Like just take care of yourself better mm -hmm. and you don't need it. And you know, I've, I didn't have a problem with energy. I was still putting up weight and all this stuff. Um, but I got my test and I think my testosterone was like 350 or 400 or something. So it's like very much on the low end of like normal, normal, like mm -hmm. definitely like not super low, like a hundred or 200, like some of these guys, but it was on the low end of normal. And so I tried some, uh, natural remedies. And when I say natural, just like Amazon products, mm -hmm. I just bought supplements and vitamins. Did and, that help? Yeah. So it went from like 350 to 500 really? just with that. And so I'm like, all right, this is cool. I don't feel really any different, but like the numbers are good. So then I go to a doctor and I'm like, all right, what should I do? 
you know? And he's like, you could try Clomid. It's like a fertility drug. He's like, it has this effect. But so whatever, I try Clomid. And, you know, I'm like, this doesn't really do anything. It raised it to like 800, mm. but it wasn't really anything. Finally, he says, Ryan, the real thing you need to do is just take testosterone. Like if you really want to have high, you know, growth hormone and that. And I just had this roadblock in my mind where I was like, that's for, you know, cheaters and stuff. And then I just finally remember thinking like, wait a minute, I don't play pro sports. Like there's, there's no, like, <laughs> mm-hmm. there's no like drug testing c- competition thing for this. Like, and it, it occurred to me too, is that at some point in my life, I'm going to take it. Like, it's just, it's not a matter of if it's just when, right? Because at some point, you know, when you get in your forties, your testosterone does jump, drop off a cliff and like, that's just what you do. And so I was like, you know what? I'll try it. And uh, then the the thought occurred in my mind and I was just like, well, if you're going to do it, you might as well just go all in. Like you don't just, uh, I've never gone anything like just lukewarm. Yeah. Yeah. You play to win the game. Yeah. I'm like, well, if we're going to do it, we might as well just do it. And so I was like, all right, what else would you suggest? He's like, all right, well, you're going to get peptides. You're going to get do, 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 you know, no anabolic stuff. Um, that's where I was like, I, I don't need any of the anabolic stuff, dude. Just give me like the TRT and the peptides. And, um, so I did that three weeks ago. So I'm basically, it's been three weeks on it and, uh, I put on like four pounds of muscle. Wow. It's crazy. How do you feel? Freaking amped. Yeah. Yeah. I it's crazy. It. Okay. So you're a fan. You recommend it. Dude. I mean, I'm probably going to start a business for it because everybody who I ever tell, like, especially after this podcast and the comments, people are going to be like, okay, what are you on? What peptides are you on? Where yeah. do I get it? All this stuff. And every time like that becomes a thing, I'm like, all right, well, that's a business. Yeah. Dude, I'm a big fan of um, just getting around people that are in shape. So I'll give you an example. So I was working out this one gym for like three years. Um, and I was, I was dating one of the trainers there for like a few months. We stopped dating a little while ago. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to switch it up for a little while. And there's this like big influencer gym in San Diego called the compound lifting okay. club. And all are they like, like bodybuilder influencers or, what? um, and, and woman, uh, mostly bodybuilding, but like, but like fitness people, girls. Yeah. People okay. are in shape. I mean, yeah. these, the girls look great. The guys are, guys are <laughs> I great see why too. you go. Yeah. And so, um, I switch it up, go over there and, Oh my gosh, dude, I've been there three weeks now. I've had the best workouts of my life because everyone's in freaking crazy shape. Yeah. And it's like business and real estate. Like I never want to be the smartest person in the room. So now I'm in this, like this whole new gym where everyone's in crazy shape. I'm probably the least in shape person there, but it, dude, it motivates the crap out of me. Yeah. And this is the first time in my life where like people are walking up to me. They're like, Hey, like, let's get a lift in. And I've never like <laughs> I've never worked out with people before. They're like, bro, now, you're you need to step it up. But now, yeah. So now I'm doing it and, uh, I'm, I'm working out with different people. I'm meeting all sorts of different people, but it just pushes me so much harder, man. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. you're, 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 what do they say? Your network is your net worth. Yeah. Same thing is true with fitness, right? You hang around fat people. Like you're going to be fat. You're mm-hmm. going to eat crap. You're not going to, those people don't want to work out. Like if you, and this is what it was like when I was in college and I had roommates and stuff, guess what? Like I'm waking up early and I'm working out. Like I'm, these people are coming with me just by proximity, right? Um, today, I'm I'm kind of in a weird point in my life because I have my own home gym now. So okay. I used to work out at a gym here called Dragon's Lair, which is owned by my friend Flex Lewis, uh, Mr. Olympia. So it would be that version of what you're talking about in Vegas. Okay. So like influencers and business people and bodybuilders and, you know, they all work out there. 
Um, but I just love working out of my home gym mm. and the reason I like it is time. Yes. I literally save like 40 minutes a day, not having to drive. And I also have like a big TV, so I don't really watch content and stuff, but that's like my only time. It's like, I'm working out, throw whatever I want on YouTube and I'm going to go pump it out. That's impressive. And so working out in your home gym yeah. with the TV on, yeah. do you feel like you can get the same level of intensity as you would by going to a big gym? I think the level of intensity is the same, but I'll say my level of intensity was never high to begin with. Like, okay, okay. like my wife will tell you, she's like, make sure you count his reps because he doesn't do his reps. Like mm. in my mind, I'll be like, all right, we got eight reps. One, two, four, <laughs> seven, eight. All right, good. And she's like, you just did five. And I'll be like, I counted to eight. I don't know how I missed a couple of numbers, but you know, so I've never, I've never been like a super intense gym guy. I'm like, yo, I'm going to come in here. I'm going to lift some freaking heavy weights and do it. But like, I'll tell you with the peptides and stuff. Now take what I just said with a grain of salt. Since I said, I don't count good. You're going to have people over YouTube, like Ryan's on steroids. <laughs> I don't care. So, uh, but take what I just said with a grain of salt, because like on Monday or no, it was Sunday on Sunday, I did two seventy five, um, four, four sets of six. So it was a lot of weight flat bench with the bar. Yeah. Nice. So I think it's pretty good. Yeah. I'm one eighty. That's legit, man. Yeah, it's it's a balancing act. So like my apartment complex that I live in, it's a, it's a brand new high rise in San Diego. It's got a 5,000 square foot gym. So when I started working out there a little bit, I was like, man, from a time perspective, I just this go down the elevator. Yep. I'll get my workout in. I'm in and out. And like I can shower, go into the office. I'm like saving a lot of time. It was great. But then I was like, dude, I'm not like, I'm not really hitting it hard. If I go in there, I'm like kind of lollygagging around. I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. distracted by my phone. Yeah, yeah. Like no one's in here. I'm by myself. I'm like, dude. And so then I was like, all right, I got to switch this up. So I tried going to this other gym. And dude, since then, I've been just like killing it. Best workouts in my life. But like you said, it's a balancing act. Now I'm driving, you know, an extra 15 minutes there and then 15 minutes back. And then my workouts there are longer. Yeah, yeah. So it's an adding an extra like hour, hour and 15 in my morning. So now it's like, okay. I have to wake up earlier in yeah. order to get in the office at the same time. Otherwise, I'm getting the office late. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You're, you're a morning workout guy. Yeah, I work at 6.30. It's the only way to do it. Yeah. Well, even at Dragon's Lair when I was there, I would go there at like 6, 6.30. Literally, no one's there. Yeah. Like, they all, all these people in Vegas anyways work out in the afternoon because they just, they're out all night, like, industry people. And then <laughs> they probably start their day at, like, 11. Mm. See, I feel like in San Diego, when I go in the gym in the morning, like let's say 6.30, 7.30, yeah. um, people are there. It's a different energy. People are there because they want to be there. Right. But when I go in in the afternoon after work hours, people are there because they have to be. And they're just kind of dragging their feet on their phone. Um, and so I prefer the morning stuff. I have more energy in the morning. And then it's like once I knock that out, it's like going in the office. I would rather go in the office late, like around 10.30, yeah. and get a good workout in than like go in early and then have to like think about it the rest of the day. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, I've, I've literally never been a nighttime or afternoon guy workout. Like I literally can't remember the last time I did. It, it's been probably 10 years. Yeah. Um, so I just, I wake up super early every day, get it in, um, usually by myself and yeah, I don't know, man. It's, I've just always worked out by myself for the most part. So like, and I, I've, I've maintained like the body that I want, but now you know, like uh, my goal was to never get like a freaking bodybuilder. It was just like, yeah, I want to be, uh, 
I don't know, the most athletic freaking entrepreneur YouTube guy, which isn't a hard thing to do. <laughs> it, it all it all co- yeah, I know, right? it all kind of coincides though. like i feel like you know all these things we do to grow our businesses um you know increase our wealth um all these relationships that we build like none of this matters if we don't have our health right and i almost see like other entrepreneurs now like when i when i meet them I'm like if they're not in shape they're super out of shape i'm like oh if, if you can't take care of body like how are you running your business i almost like see it that way too do you oh dude i'm super judgmental <laughs> Like truthfully, you know, I don't, and I'm not judgmental to be like, well, I guess I am judgmental because yeah, if, if somebody walks in, the the first immediate thing you're going to look at is how they look and everything that comes with that, right? Are you in shape? What kind of clothes do you wear? All this stuff, right? And that's going to start to create this perception of how you think they carry themselves and do everything else. And so um, whether you like it or not, judgment is a very real thing and you got to take everything into account when you're choosing whether to hire that person partner you know give money to whatever right like it all plays into the account how they treat their spouse how they treat their family how you know they handle faith how they handle their body like all those are indicators of how they probably handle business and their employees and everything else and so um if you're undisciplined Mm. in these other areas like what makes me think you're also disciplined in business? 100%. And that's the that's the right word for it, discipline. It's like if you're not disciplined about the food that you put in your body and being able to go work out, um, what, are, what other areas of your life are you not disciplined in? Well, also too, it just like, you know, bearing like a true health problem. Mm. Um, it's also just like a fact of that, you know, you have low standards. You're like, I'm I'm willing to be like this. And it's like, well, I'm not. Yeah. My standard would not allow me. I've never been fat, you know? And I also think like if you're in business, um, you know, from a confidence standpoint, just to work out, feel good, look good, you're going to have more confidence and you can't argue that's not going to help your business. For sure. Well, and you're going to have more energy. So this is, I said this on stage one time and actually one of my students really took it to heart and it, it, it's what. His name's Clint. He was on the show. We were talking about it on the show. He goes, I remember two years ago, you were on stage. This is before the wealthy way and everything else. And you, you literally told everyone in the crowd, you said, Hey, if you're out of shape, you cannot compete with me. I literally told him that. And I'm like, that sounds like something I would say. And he's like, I took that to heart. He's like, because I was out of shape and you, it was like, you were calling me out saying you have no shot to compete with me. Because guess what? It's true. Like if I work eight hours and I have energy and I'm in shape and I'm feeling good and you're not, there's just no way you can't compete. And, you know, he lost, I think, like 40, 50 pounds and like he looks great. And, um, you know, that's the message. It's like, you know, if you're hearing this and you're not in the shape you want to be. And by the way, none of us are in the shape we want to be. No, I'm, I want to get in better shape. Um you know, we, we all aspire to, to, to have our dream physique, whatever that looks like for us. You know, it's like we're talking about, I have no dreams to be this big bodybuilder, right? You know, but my dream physique is like, yo, I want like a pretty carved out six pack. I want to be lean so I can play golf and like do the things I do. I have no, no desire to be huge. Um, and then for somebody who's overweight right now, it's like, yeah, you know, the six pack's not the goal right now. The goal is like, yo, let's just shed 40 pounds. Let's, you know, do this. And that's great for you. Yeah. There's always a, another level. 
Um, but I think the beauty of like life and just being, you know, uh, an entrepreneur in general, is like, if you're not happy with, with where you are, whether it's fitness, business relationships, uh, dating, you can always improve yourself. Yeah. Like go figure out a way to learn a new skill, go figure out a way to make more money, go figure out a way to get in shape. And then your quality, your level of high quality options are going to increase. Um, and that's the beauty of life, man, is you can always improve yourself. Yeah. And it doesn't take that. It doesn't take that long. No, but the problem also is the world tried to standardize like mediocrity. Mm. So it's like, no, being fat's cool. Like, yeah. d- don't, don't tell them that. What do okay? they call it? Like adulting? I don't know. Like, it's just, okay to like just yeah, chill and yeah, eat okay. ice cream, just watch like, Netflix. We're, yeah. we're adulting today. Yeah. Be, just be you yeah. it's, as long as that makes you happy. And I'm like, I don't think that makes anyone happy. All right. Number one, uh, two, it's the same thing too of like, you know, just live your life the way you want to live it. And, you know, don't worry about what anyone else thinks and like, do you. And it's like, all right, you do that long enough. You know, you, you end up with the results and, and, and you don't like your life. Qu- yeah. <laughs> and life moves quick. Yeah. You know, um, I, I always like think of life in like a matter of months if you're measuring life. Yeah. And so if you take average life expectancy age of 77 and you subtract however old you are now, so I'm 38. I have about 470 months left before I hit that age. And so if you think about it in that perspective, it's like, it makes you realize, man, 470 months is going to go really quick. Yeah. And so whether it's business decisions or deciding, you know, what I'm going to put in my body, I always think about that and it makes my decisions super easy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, there's always this thing of you have a choice on every decision you make. Do you want to help your future self and hurt your, you know, short-term self? Or do you want to like, you know, feed your, your short-term self and like hurt your future self. Like that's always the decision. It's like, well, I could eat the cookie today. The short-term me is going to love it. The long-term me is not going to like it. Mm-hmm. You know, I could go spend this money today and blow it at the club. The short-term me is probably going to like it. Me tomorrow, not going to like it. Yeah. And it's just, you're always making those decisions. Yeah. You got to enjoy a little bit though. But, oh, I agree. But it's like, you got to pick and choose your spots, you know? Yeah. And so picking and choosing your spots is an interesting thing. Cause like when I was broke and you know, it's like nah, short term me can't go to the club and, and go spend money on this dumb crap. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I'll never even reach the long term me. I'm just going to keep being right. broke. But to your point, you know, there are people who take it to the extreme and they never enjoy the present. So it's like today it's like, nah, you know, I'm going to go on that vacation. I'm going to buy the car. I'm going to do that. And it's not going to affect long term me at this point. Yeah. You know, like I'm going to enjoy everything. And I feel like, you know, as an entrepreneur, especially for someone that, you know, is putting out content like you are, um, a lot of these things that you're alluding to, you know, a lot of people see them as a, as an investment or not an investment as a liability, but it could be an investment, you know, dr- driving the nice car or going on a nice vacation, you know, people see those things and it could help your business depending on the content. Oh, for sure. But you know, that goes back to, you got to create content. <laughs> got to create content. That's the name of the game. <laughs> but you know, yeah. You could always make the case for anything that you do in life. You're like, well, you know, the cookie, I could make a case for eating a cookie and it being good for you right now. Like it just, you could always make the the case for it. Um, but at the end of the day, like, am I buying the watch to, you know, really get more view? Like, no, I'm literally, I'm buying because I want it. Mm-hmm. And a byproduct would be, yeah, ideally I could get more views. Um, but also too, you're going to get more haters. And so it's like, there's always the balancing act of it. You are. Yeah, I just joined a um, exotic car club. So I had a I had the founder of Fastlane Drive on my uh, podcast, and um, literally like 
I'm interviewing him and right after the the interview was done I was like dude how do I join so I ended up getting into this um this exotic car club okay and now I'm connected with like all these big players from all over the world they got like nine or ten chapters one's out here in Vegas but we just had our first event that I attended last last weekend in San Diego so people came in from all over there's like 70 like exotic cars Lamborghinis Ferraris Bugattis yeah yeah I got an Audi R8 I'm like bottom feeder in this world. <laughs> this, <laughs> this is the bomb. first this is the first time my R8 felt like a Civic yeah and like, I'm literally this guy's in this, broke yeah I'm in this group we do this rally and I'm not a big car guy I joined yeah. for the networking yeah yeah but we do this rally we're like driving three and a half hour drive all over San Diego the back hills it was so fun um and that's what after, a rally is they yeah I didn't know that okay dude and these guys drive fast like <laughs> fast you know uh Lisa song yeah so she came out with her car. She's in the Vegas chapter. So yeah. she drove her her Porsche out. And dude, she f- drives fast. Yeah. <laughs> like she was like her, all like 95 pounds of her is like in her Porsche in the front, <laughs> just freaking cranking, man. And dude, it was so fun. But we got like police escort. The police are just like, go ahead, do your thing. Like they're like cool with it. Really? Yeah. It was, I've never seen anything like it, but it was fun. And then the cool part about it was afterwards, one of the, one of the members in the group owns like a 130 foot yacht in San Diego. So we go out in the water for like four or five hours, nice little party on the water, good networking. And I'm I'm meeting all sorts of people on on the yacht that are like, oh yeah, like I'm in private equity. I invest in like 25 syndications, blah, blah, blah. Like these are folks that can write big checks. Um, and then afterwards we go to another after. And uh, the owner of this, the property that hosts us after owns like one of the apartment buildings that I used to live in in San Diego for like three years. Yeah. yeah. And like another one next door. And so I guess my point is, is, you know, sometimes people look at these nice cars as like an expense or a liability, but it's like, well, if you use it correctly, yeah. you can get plugged into these big groups of folks that are going to help you grow your business. And, you know, it's inspiring to get around folks that are ahead of me in business, if you would. Yeah. You no, know, a thousand percent. I a hundred percent agree. And I think, um, you know, they do that for watch cl- collectors too. They got like, you know, those kinds of get togethers and the cars is a great way. Um, golf, as I've said many times is a great way, you Dude, know, golf is great, but fuck, it takes a lot of time. Man. Yeah. But when you love it, yeah, it doesn't matter. Right? What do you, what do you shoot right now? I'm a four handicap. Wow. Yeah. That's solid. How often do you play? Uh, I try to play once a week. Okay. Yeah. Do you take, do you go out in the like practice, like on the range once a week too? No, no. Every day. You go every day. Mm-hmm. I have a simulator now too. So you're playing seven days a week, at least at some capacity. Yeah, my elbow freaking hurts, but Damn, I, I, I'm supposed to take. I didn't time know you off. were that intense. Well, so okay, I, I'll give you the rundown of what happened. So I bought a piece of land on a golf course. It's my mountain, that as I've called it, and um, I was like, well, dang, I, I didn't buy it to golf. I didn't golf at the time. I'm like, but. If I'm going to live here, I might as well start golfing. So I buy a membership at the course and I'm like, well, I mean, <laughs> my mindset is always all in, right? Yeah. If, I, if I do something, we just go extreme. Same. And so I was like, well, okay, if I'm going to golf, I need golf clubs. So I go get fitted, I get golf clubs. I'm like, well, I guess I need a coach now. So I go hire the coach and he's like, dude, you're going to learn fast. I mean, you're already an athlete. You get it. Um, he's like, you'll be shooting low really quick. And so, you know, I, I work with him for about a year. And, um, you know, I get down in the eighties and all that stuff and, you know, shooting the seventies a couple of times. And, um, then I get a new coach and, you know, he's helping me get to the next level and, you know, all this stuff. And, um, does your coach go out on the, on the, um, course with you? Yeah, we, we golf together a lot, but okay. I'll go to his, he has, um, you know, an indoor thing mm-hmm. and I have my own simulator now. And so, you know, long story short, I end up joining another country club because I end up buying a house in a different one that's even better. And so I joined there. And then um, 
you know, I've just met all these amazing people um, while I've been golfing who are like really big. And, you know, I've golfed with pro athletes. I've golfed with billionaires, you know, and they, they don't invite you if you suck. It's yeah. like, if you suck, you're, you're not getting an invite, right? But I hit bombs. And so they're like, dude, you know, we'll invite Ryan to wait till you see how far he hits the ball. Like, that's kind of like a thing. So how far do you drive? I mean, I could hit him 350. So I can crank them, but and straight. That's 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 a work in progress. So, um, but I <laughs> when I hit them, right? Yeah. So, anyways, consistency is a key. But uh, then I put a property under contract in Costa Rica. That's actually this shirt I'm wearing today. Um, part of a, you know, it's a discovery property. So, for those who don't know what discovery is, it's like literally the most luxurious communities in the world. The networking there is just insane because by nature, mm. it's only top tier people. And so like every big athlete buys in there, every big actor, every big investor, business owner, everything. And so if you're already there, it's just known that like you're legit. So um, obviously I haven't like moved there yet. We're in contract to close and it's just land. So I still will need to build and stuff like that. But just by the fact of telling people that, like who I've had on the show, like, oh, dude, you're buying Discovery? Dude, mm. I got, I have one over here, 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 right? Like they own multiple ones because that's what these people do. They just buy like, oh, you know what? I need a second home in Hawaii. I also want one in, you know, Dominican. So that's what they do. Yep. And um, they're also really good investments because, you know, it's just like they've just climbed in value. You know, like there's one in, uh, San, no, there's not one in San Diego, but here in Vegas, we have one. Um, but oh, so they're all over the world. Yeah. There's like 30 different ones. Wow. And, um, there's so many deals that happen there in these communities. I can imagine. And it's probably like, to me, it's just like the best networking that is out there. And it's also happens to be a real estate investment and in play and like lifestyle. And so it just fits a lot of things. Um, and I'll probably be the poorest person in there. Like truthfully. Yeah. And that's um, a good thing for you though. That that's a great thing. You don't want to be the richest I'm like person stretching myself to get in <laughs> yeah. and you know, but, yeah. but the thing is all these people are older. They're like, dude, you're actually the youngest member who's bought, who's mm. buying. And I'm like, all right, that's good. I'm in the right place. But, uh, I love that. Yeah. So I'm excited about it, but you know, long story short, when I tell people that who like are on the show and stuff, it's like instant credibility. And what they do is they're like, dude, well, let's go to my house because I have one here and we'll vacation together and we'll golf and hang out. And then we'll go to yours because you have one over. That's what they like. So you can experience the different ones. Yeah. I love that, man. I, I think so much of, of business and in life is is getting in the, the right groups. Yeah. You get plugged in the right groups and start meeting the right people. I mean, you know this better than anyone. Uh, things will, will change very quickly for you. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And like, I didn't know golf would lead me down that path. I started it simply as like, I'm an athlete. I'm competitive. If I'm going to do this, I want to stomp everyone. And, you know, now I truly like love the game. Like I watch the PGA every weekend. It's probably the only thing I watch on TV. Now I'm not like watching it for 12 hours straight. It's like, I'll watch the highlights. I'll, if I'm not doing anything, I'll just turn it on and whatever's playing is playing and I'll watch it. And I got, you know, I'm studying them. Like most of the YouTube that I watch in the gym mm -hmm. is golf. Really? Yeah. Like while I'm just you're, while you're pumping weights. Yeah, dude, dude. I just watch golf and I watch like these swing coaches and like the high. <laughs> dude, that's what I watch. I put on golf when I want to take a nap. <laughs> no, dude, it gets me hyped. I'm like, Rory, let's go, baby. Yeah. I um, love that. you ever go to like live events? I went to one here in Vegas when they had the one event, but no, I haven't been. Uh, 
But no, I, I love it, man. And I think it's just a challenge. I think every entrepreneur needs to challenge themselves in something totally different than what they do. I think that when you only get focused on one thing and you just make your entire life about that, people will tell you that that's the right advice. I think that's stupid. I think it makes you very one-dimensional and you don't understand how to think creatively because you have no experience in other aspects of life. And mm. so if like I'm trying to pull, you know, a creative solution, like I have so many things to pull from. I'm like, oh, I remember we did this when I played baseball. I remember we did this in my real estate business. I remember we did this on the podcast. I remember when we did this in tax. I remember when we did this in whatever, right? And it just gives you a like you're just more dangerous when you understand different elements of life. And um you know, being a parent, being a husband, like they all just help you make a decision that, you know, is a very complicated thing to do. And so, you know, I'm excited for golf, dude. I, uh, my goal honestly is to win one of these celebrity tournaments. Mm. So like basically that makes two things I have to do. One, I have to become a bigger celebrity and two, I have to be become a better golfer. So it, it accomplishes two goals. And, um, that's what I want to do, dude. I love that, man. Have you played a tournament yet? No. No. I think it'd be fun to get out there and, and play some tournaments. So for me... Um, the reason I haven't played is because I know I'm not good enough. Like I literally... And I know I need to do it anyway, but yeah. like I know what my handicap is and I'm like, I can't win. Like these guys are too good right now. I need to... It, it's like starting the podcast though. It's like, hey, the time is never be perfect to get started. You just gotta I know. do it, man. I know. I know. Yeah. You, you're right. I actually did sign up for my first one, the club championship. Uh yeah, it's coming up in a couple of months. So. Okay, so you're already taking action. Then. Yeah, well, now I feel like I'm ready. So I got a, so for me, I was taking lessons um, and I I went and traveled for like six weeks last year and I stopped taking the lessons. I was going out <laughs> weekly and I was making some good progress. I had a coach yeah. and I came back from vacation six weeks later and I never freaking rescheduled the, the lessons. <laughs> I still have like 10 lessons I paid for. And Come on, man, used. I you know. gotta do it. So I've gone out a handful of times in the course with my buddies, but I need to get out there all I need to do is pick up the phone, start booking the lessons. And then from there I'll start rolling. But it is something I want to, you know, get out there and get good at. Yeah. Do you think I can get pretty decent if I just do one lesson a week and then play one round on the weekend? I would prefer you do one lesson a week and then get a net or something and like practice it daily on your own or yeah. go to the driving range. Yeah, whatever. Because I don't think that the round itself is as important, uh, when you're first starting out, I mm. think that your technique and just your swing is as far more important just because it's like all muscle memory yeah you just got to get that down and then because once you go on the course dude you hit a different club every time you have different lies it takes a long time mm -hmm. like i would personally i'm no expert but i would do that um because like even for me today it's like i get my lesson once a week to like work on something the rest of the week and so i'll spend the rest of the week in my simulator working on the movement and whatever it is i want to do um, and I've actually come to really enjoy it. You know, I'll, I'll hit on the simulator for like 30 minutes to an hour and I'll throw on my iPod or my iPod, my AirPods, mm -hmm. and I'll listen to, you know, a podcast or an audio book or something like that. And that's like, to me, great, because it's the only time I can actually do it. And I'm like double, you know, getting double, uh, reward. Yeah. That makes sense. Do you think there's a lot of carryover between baseball and golf? There is on the athletic side in that, I mean, dude, if I could hit 95 mile an hour fastball, I can hit a, a golf ball that's sitting still. Mm -hmm. um, but 
the swing of baseball is actually very different than golf. And like most baseball players have a bad slice because of the way we hit the ball at impact. It's actually the incorrect way in golf. And so breaking, you know, 30 years of that habit, doing it tens of thousands of times has been uh, the biggest challenge. But I think I'm like really kind of at the point where I'm making some big breakthroughs and I think I'm going to be under par here very soon. Okay. So basically what you're saying is in a year, we're going to see you all over these celebrity tournaments. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying yes or no, but I did. Uh, well, I actually did get a deal from Titleist. So did you? yeah, I so that, that that's my next thing, you know, get freaking all my Titleist gear and I'll be like, guys, I'm probably the worst golfer on your guys' roster, but here we go. Would you make a run at the PGA if you, if you really, <laughs> if your game just took off in the next two years? Uh, I mean, <laughs> that would be like insane. Um, you're already playing. Every I don't, day. I, well, I don't want to offend all the people out there. Cause as a guy who played pro sports, I know how difficult it is. So I'm not going to offend those guys and be like, yeah, you know, I can do it. Uh, what I can say is, you know, I'm just taking it day by day and however good I get, I get, but I do know, like this is this. So this was a debate we had with, uh, some of my other athlete buddies are like, which is harder, baseball or golf? I'm like, freaking baseball. What are you talking about? And they're like, well, dude, there's way more baseball players than they're all golfers. I'm like, yeah, because nobody wanted to play golf when they were a kid. It was lame. You know, you had the worst athletes who played golf growing up. They couldn't play football or baseball, and so they had to play golf. Yeah. That was my rationale. That, but it's also more expensive to play golf. Yeah, that too. It's yeah. just there's a huge barrier to entry, and mm-hmm. it was lame back then. Now golf is cool, so people like it. Um, and so it's like, dude, the level of athletes in golf compared to these other sports, it's not even close. I mean, these guys in NFL, NBA, and MLB, they are killers. These guys on the PGA Tour, they're athletes. Don't get me wrong. And they have amazing technique and everything else, but they are not like the specimens over there. Yeah, that's a really good way to look at it. I think if you had the same pool of people that start off playing basketball, playing golf at a young age, it'd be a whole different game. The level of competition would be insane. It would be insane. Because all those guys over there, I mean, dude, just their athleticism and everything, Mm -hmm. they'll be hitting golf balls freaking miles. And like golf is a technique sport. So like that part is only one element of it. But like, Trust me. And you see that with the UFC. It's like when the UFC first came to the scene 20 years ago, a lot of these like big fights were like guys that were basically just rolling out of their backyard. Yeah, just chunky just dudes. Just like- yeah, Chuck Liddell and yeah. like Tito Ortiz, some of these guys. But now it's like as the competition has increased because there's more people that grew up watching it, they're like, I want to become a, a professional exactly. fighter. Now the level of competition is like, it's a whole other ball game in there. It's way more technical. And so I do think, to your point, now that golf is cool, I do think you will see a new generation of... You're already seeing it because there's like these low 20-year-old guys who hit the ball a mile. They're winning tournaments. They're crazy, right? The guys Tiger Woods was competing with 20 years ago, I mean, dude, they were just like generic white dudes, just like whatever because they were the only guys that played. Yeah. You know, in baseball, and it's like not even to bring race into it, but it's the reality of what it is. In baseball, we literally have to play against the entire world. Mm -hmm. So when I got drafted, it was like, yo, we got every Dominican. This is their dream is to play baseball in the big leagues. That's their only way out of the Dominican. Yeah. It's a ticket off the Island. It's it. Venezuela. Same thing. 
And so we're competing against the whole world. And guess what? China, Japan, they're doing it too. And, you know, the U.S. <laughs> so you bring the best people all across the world at like literally a world sport and you're competing against these guys now. And these guys are killers. They're, they literally are playing for their life. Nobody's playing for their life in golf. Yeah. You know, that ain't a thing. No. Okay. So, you know, it's not to like hate on golf or what, but it's just the reality of the situation is like these guys are killers. And I think that in 20 years, when this next wave of golfers come up, you are going to see some freaking killers playing the sport because it's cool. You know, it's like, it's just going to be a different ball game. I think, you know, like you could say Tiger Woods put golf on the map, made it cool. Yeah. Um, golf almost died three years ago. Yeah. Before COVID. Question for you though. Yeah. Do you think that you could look at real estate investing the same way? It's like, you know, 30, 40 years ago, real estate investing traditionally was like a old white man's, you know, sport. Um, but today it's like kind of a cool thing again. And so you got all these young kids that are like growing up wanting to become real estate investors. So do you think the level of competition in the real estate investing space long-term is going to be much better than it was 30 years ago? I mean, you already see it. I mean, you see it, man, you go to one of my events at WealthCon and you see these young kids getting after it. I mean, everybody's different ethnicities, ages, you know, demographics, and you know, they're doing really well. Um, yeah, I, I think that, you know, you, like I said, the reason I, I said that baseball is much harder to do is that the pool at which you're pulling from of people who want to do it is just, it's a hundred times bigger than golf. Yeah. Right. And like the pool of people who wanted to golf since they were a young kid is just enormously small relative to baseball worldwide. Um, you know, basketball and football, they're huge. The people that want to play that. Um, but I think golf is expanding like we're talking about. And I think that, you know, it's going to just, it's definitely going to become more competitive and you see it now, like I said, you know, a lot of young 20 year old, mid 20 year old guys who are dominating the sport because they grew up in an era of like actually training mm-hmm. and like building up as an athlete. Whereas, like I said, 20 years ago, it's freaking these dudes who just played at the country club and they were chilling and mm-hmm. you know, like John Daly was like winning things. You're yeah. just like, really? Yeah. <laughs> But even guys like Phil Mickelson, I'm like, dude, 30, 40 pounds overweight, but just gambling. Well, think about that sport. Like, you know, you literally gamble, drink, smoke while you play. Like it's a very, what do they call it? The 19th hole. People just hang out afterwards. Yeah, Like it's a very interesting sport. Like it's great for a business guy. (laughs) It's just like, it's amazing. But like even these PGA guys, they're like that. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. Yeah. But we'll see where it goes. Hopefully, all my golf people, I don't know. Let me know in the comments, guys. Do you agree with what I'm saying or am I just delusional? Um, I don't know. But also, too, maybe I'll get really good at golf and then um, I'll be like, I told you guys, this game's freaking easy. It's probably not going to happen. But yeah, maybe next time I come out, I'll I'll, uh, I'll get my lessons in and we can get around in. Let's do it. Yeah. I'm freaking down. I, I'm always down. But anyways, bro. I, we, I don't even know. We got sidetracked you're, there. You're going to be in San Diego in a couple of weeks, you said? That's the goal. What are you doing there? Uh, I got some content and business deals I got to do. Okay. Yeah. I love San Diego. That's beautiful out there. Yeah. So. Yeah, we got to connect, man. Well, um, when you come out, we'll get you on the podcast out there. Yeah. Love to. What, well, usually what I do is I, uh, anytime I go in any of these deals, I always try to sneak around in. So I try to like stack my morning or my afternoon so I can go do it. 
to go to what? To golf. Oh, okay. To, if, whenever I go speak at an event, I always golf. I'll be like, make sure I speak at like three. Do you fly your clubs out or you run them? Uh, usually fly them out. Wow. I'm serious about it. <laughs> <laughs> it. It depends, but I'm pretty serious about it. Yeah. But anyways, dude, hey, where can people find you and the podcast and everything else? Yeah, man. So everything's on social media, uh, Instagram, uh, at rich underscore summers podcast is the rich summers report. We're on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, all that stuff. Cool. All right, guys, go check rich out. And, uh, you know, if you're, if you're looking at boutique hotels, you want to invest in them, you want to, you know, partner with rich on a deal, find him a deal. He's looking. So hit him up and, uh, you know, we'll catch you on the next podcast. Peace. We own and operate residential assisted living homes for seniors, usually housing somewhere between six and 16 residents in a home. And they're cash flowing on the low end, 10 grand a month. This is solving so many problems I'm having right now because I can't cash flow. This gives me a way to do it. Yep. I can buy real estate even with higher 